Well, hello, Jacob. I hope all is well with you. COVID era, let's go. (laughs) Well, yeah, I know all about COVID era. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I do have some questions. I have a question. We talked earlier about how you feel like you're growing as a writer. Mm. But I want to know from you is how do you know that your students are growing as writers? How do you know? This is such a hard question. Um, oh, it's okay. This is, the best uh, I can do. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a good question though. And I think it's something that people, I think it's something that we should honestly ask ourselves pretty like monthly, weekly, daily, right? This whole knowing where kids are coming from. I, uh, I don't, I think the, for me, so I have, I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast. I know I've mentioned it on teach me teacher, but I have an iPad that I take all my conference notes in and on this iPad, I have an app called notability, which is a premium app. You have to pay for it. It's like, I think like 10 bucks or something like that. But it's a fantastic note-taking app. But it allows me, I can basically, what I do is I have all my periods and then I have all my students in those periods that they're in. And so when I sit down with a student, I can click on their name and then I can take notes. I can take pictures of their work. I can take revisions. If I take a picture, I can use my Apple Pencil to directly write on the picture to show... Like if we're thinking of words that we want to change rather than writing directly on their journal or something like that, um, we can write it. I can write it on there, uh, which is super cool and stuff like that. So basically, I'm creating a document. I'm creating tons of documents that where I can show progress of... I can create a whole, I can, so I basically when I'm sitting with the student, I can look at the, uh, a massive history of what we talked about, any notes that I've had, et cetera, et cetera. So this is actually kind of cool. So students know this and I, I full, I show them the notes I take about them because I don't write down anything. I don't want them to see a lot of the times I'm just writing down what we talk about, um, stuff like that. So what ends up happening is like a student will sit with me and they'll go, oh, I want to look at this and we'll scroll through their stuff together. And so I can see progress that way because I can I have because I looped up with my kids. I literally have pictures from like the beginning of August, the first year I taught them to January 2021 this year. Right. So we can actually see progress that way Um, in the early time working with my students, a lot of my progress was like, how much are they publishing and what are they publishing, right? Are they just publishing the same stuff over and over again? Um, are they playing with the different genres that we've talked about? Are they playing with different lessons that we've done? So I can look at the actual strategies of cross pieces. Um, I, the, but the biggest indicator without going too much into detail, cause I think we're going to talk about some of this on the podcast is, I think the biggest indicator of growth is how much students feel like they're growing by asking them and then seeing what that means in actual writing. So I surveyed my kids in December and I asked them how they felt about writers and how they grew and I got all of this great data from it. But then you look at their pieces and you can look at from the beginning to the end and go, wow, like their control of language is different. Their sentence construction is different. Their vocabulary is different. Uh, their insights and how well they're able to kind of pull them out 
is different. And the uh, one thing I do want to say for listeners of this is I don't think, you know, nothing about reading and writing is really linear, right? So every piece they publish might not be the next level of them as a writer, but I think all of that evidence combined is how I can judge whether my writers are growing or not. And I think they can be equally as aware of that. Um, And all you do is have to ask. Well, there you go. Thank you for that answer. I like it when kids are are, are growing. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. I think it, they enjoy it when they're growing. But everybody, with that, welcome to Craft and Draft with Jacob Chastain and Pam Ochoa. And today we're going to talk about the draft book. Last week we talked about the craft book and how we take our notes and use that to help us with the craft of reading and writing. And today we're going to talk about drafting and uh, I think your answer there, talk, I think the, the draft book is, is one way that we can actually show the students that they're growing. Jacob, I, I, I like to use these notebooks that they create, and then they go back and look at all the volume that they've uh, created and they've written. And the more volume they do, the more impressed they get with themselves. I think that's kind of fun. I like I like it when they go, Mr. Choa, we've been doing a whole lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really neat. Or they'll say, I'm out. Of, uh, you know what? We haven't even finished the semester. I'm already out of my notebook. Can I, need, can I get a new notebook? Can I start it again? And so I get moments like that. So. I had some of those. I had several kids come back from Christmas break and they're like, oh. I got a new draft book. And I was like, did you fill up the other one? Like, yeah. And I was like, well, don't get rid of it. And like, oh, I don't. It's in my backpack. I just, I needed a new journal. I was out of pages. And I was like, yes. <laughs> That's how you know yeah. some writing's going That's down. That's how you know they're growing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you not grow? You fill up a composition book of writing. Uh, how, could, mm-hmm. how could that not equate to growth? I mean, it's, it's practice. It's like if the person that runs one mile every week versus the person that runs 20 miles a week, who do you think is going to be the better runner? So with I'm, – I'm curious. So I, I have – I, I kind of want to take the same uh, process that we did with the craft book. Kind of talk about kind of the, the origin of having kids write and then that transitioning into kind of what we use now. And you um, – I'm sure your answers will be different than mine, but I'm – curious as to when you're teaching adults, okay, so all the trainings where you've talked about writing and, and enjoying writing and, uh, and, and writing for a variety of purposes, like when you approach adults in these training sessions, when you're trying to get them to really embrace this process, what do adults do? Like when, when you're like, all right, now we're going to write, <laughs> like what, what does that look like? What does this sea of faces Oh, I feel, like, I feel like there's resistance. Am I is am I wrong about that? Well, it's it's interesting because, um, well, I, I can't. I, you you made me. Ha- it just caused a whole storm of thinking. But first of all, as a trainer who's trying to get adults to write, the first time when you ask them to write, we usually invite them to write. And we just say, why don't, why don't you, you know, join us? We're writing. And they're all like, and we sit down and we start writing. And everybody's like looking around. And But it was for, what's really fun is, you know, I've been doing it for over 20 years. And it doesn't matter. It's the same every 
every training session, it will be the same. And so uh, the same reaction. Everybody starts staring at each other. They start talking and they keep chatting. And you always have those two or three that just chat it up and they're just chatting it up and they haven't seen each other in a while and they're best friends and they catch up on the family and everybody starts looking around and and my training buddies that I'm with are like, do I need to go tell them to be quiet? Do I need to go tell them to be quiet? And I'm like, no, they'll start writing. They'll get the clue. Just relax. It's okay. This is an invitation. Let's just relax. And I mean, all of a sudden they, you hear this, are we supposed to be writing? <laughs> the two that are like chatting it up. I mean, it happens. It has happened for 20 years, the same. So everybody's looking around. They're not quite sure what to do. And then they just start writing. And it's interesting because we don't tell them what to write about. We don't. I mean, there's nothing there that we, we tell them to write. I mean, we don't give a prompt. We just say, join us. And as And through modeling, they pick up on and it kind of starts like if we kind of position ourselves in a certain way where they just see that we're just writing and we're writing and we're writing. And then um, anyway, and you kind of look up and there's a few close to you that are writing. And then it just kind of moves and moves and moves until finally the whole group is is writing. But you got to you got to give them some time to do that. So but yeah, it's they they first are not knowing what to do with that. So it's kind of fun. I enjoy it. Well, and I I wonder, like, what is it the it, from a trainer's perspective, why why do you do that though? Like what is it that you're trying to accomplish by just sitting out the invitation saying, join us, let's write. And because it's it's obviously a like I don't know. I don't know if awkward is the right word, but that's what I'm going to use. So like, it's obviously like an awkward moment to kind of be like, okay, this is what we're doing, and then kind of waiting for them to kind of get the clue and join in. But there, I, there's thinking behind that. Like, what what are you trying to do in that moment of just inviting and then waiting for the process to happen? Well, I think, first of all, um, what we – we end up debriefing, you know, that experience with them. But I think one of the the things that I have noticed over the years is that people are used to being told what to write. They they are used to being given a prompt. Their experiences in school have always been prompts, especially um, my generation at, you know, before all this research happened, you know what I mean? Because I graduated, what, in the 80s or early 80s, like 70s is when I went to school. So when you're looking at that, uh, it was always a prompt, you know, write this report, write that book report. Mainly, it was mainly book reports, a lot of book reports. And uh, so you're always being told what to write. And so there's no thinking there. But really, truly, ownership of your writing is where the power is. And I think trying to put those teachers in that uncomfortable position to put them in the same, because we, we have a tendency to get, tell the kids to write and we tell them what to write and then we expect them to be able to do it. But here we are, we're kind of putting the teachers in the same position. They don't know what it is they're supposed to write. They know they're supposed to write. They're used to being told a prompt but they've never really just been allowed to write whatever they want, how however long they need, and 
it with a group of people that are doing it with them. So I think what it does is it's an exercise of of um, freeing their minds to write about anything they want to. So it's it's transferring ownership from the teacher or the trainer to the actual writer. Because there is no choice there, but it's it really is a true invitation. Very matrixy, right? Free your mind. Free your um, mind. Well, and I, I, I love this. I, I love this. And I think a lot of people will be like, okay, well, that works because they're adults. They've written, they've done this, they can, you know, they can they can channel down and, and kind of do what needs to get done because they have the skills to do it. But I've heard teachers and you may or may not have had this experience as well, but I've heard teachers stand up and in a meeting or something like that, maybe not physically stand up, but speak up and say, you know, well, we, we can't let kids write until they know how to write. They need to know, they need to know sentence structure and they need to know all the rules of comma usage and they need to know how to all of these things. They need grammar practice and they need to uh, a, a clear outline to where they can write their, their introduction or let, you know what, even before that, let's start the introductory sentence. And then they can write their introduction and then we'll write that introduction for maybe a week. And then maybe next week we'll free them and unshackle them into the second paragraph of this essay that they are writing and so on (laughs) and so forth. And I, here's the thing we're, you know, obviously I'm being a little snarky, but I, on a real level, I think you and I uh, agree and fully understand why a teacher would feel like they need to do that. The rationality um, to some degree makes sense, right? Like it's like, oh, well, clearly, you know, it's it's this they need to be led. They're inexperienced writers. So we need to show them and they can't possibly do this because it'll just be bad. And then it's going to be a hot mess. Right. Like we we get why mm-hmm. that process exists. But it's, it, I think that process, if you just examine it for a few more minutes, right, it starts to fall apart because out of all of the arts in the world and even other things, like if you hand someone a basketball, you don't like really teach them to shoot, right? You hand them a ball and you say, shoot. And then over time, you teach them form to fix their shot and, and, and technique to do these things. Same thing in football, baseball, um, mm-hmm. music, right? You hand kids drumsticks and you let them beat on something for a little bit. And you go, oh, you want to do this? Well, here, start here. And then you slowly start bringing them into this process. But for riding, it's like, nope, you have to learn all of these rules before you can go out and play. <laughs> um, but people are scared, right? Like when I say I don't prompt students anymore, um, it's almost always met with like like a side eye, like well, you like you know, like it's like you can't even like it's almost unfathomable. But it's why why do you think that's so pervasive though? Like in the culture, like why is it that we approach writing so different? Like why why is it because we see it as as so academic that it needs to be treated that way? Or what do you, what do you think the origins of that is? And all the time that you've kind of done this, do you have a, an answer for why that that's just kind of like the base mode of English teachers? Well, I think teachers have been, well, you, you've, I've heard you say this teachers 
have received assigned writings. In other words, you are you a are you a writing teacher? Are you an assigner of writing? Mm-hmm. And I think our teachers, a lot of times their experiences are that they've been assigned a writing assignment. And I think it's that's what they're used to. And but really writing is thinking. And if you really go back and you think about writing, you know, I've got some grandchildren that are we're in, and even my own child, you know, I handed him a pen, I mean, a pen or a crayon, and then they just, they just make marks on the page. We naturally write. We've always naturally wrote, but I think we're afraid uh, to let go. We don't know exactly what they're going to say because really writing is something that starts with a blank page. It's like painting. It's a blank canvas. You don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes you don't even know what you think. Um, or like the painting, you don't know what that picture is going to look like until you've actually started it. And so I think I think it's difficult for teachers to relinquish control because either A, they've never experienced it themselves as a writer due to the fact that they've always been assigned writing assignments, even all the way through college, or they don't write naturally themselves. I mean, a lot of times what my experience is, and, and in our colleges, too, at least the colleges that, that I'm familiar with, is it's more of a literary college. We we teach literature in college. We teach literature in, 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 in high school. And it's literature-based. And when we're told to write, it's more of a critique. It's more of a book report, as I said earlier. It's more of a research assignment. Now, you know, that's also a canned project usually and not an authentic project where the research flows from what the writer wants to think about. So I think what happens is you if you haven't been trained that way, okay, then you're going to go by as a teacher you're going to go back to what you know and you're and you're going to do what you've been taught. And if you're not like you're a you're a writer you write. That's what you do. And you bring all of that experience with you because you are a writer. But if you've never really written, but you're a literature teacher, then sometimes you don't know the first thing about how to help a writer because you're not a writer yourself. You know what's so, so funny? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No. So I think I think teachers have a hard time um, trusting the writing process. That's where I was going with that. Go ahead. Well... Sorry to cut you off, but no, you're good. I uh, when I, I mean, there was a lot there. One, I totally agree that the high school and college is definitely bent towards kind of like a literary analysis, right? Everything's a response, mm-hmm. a very little creation. Um, we uh, teachers, you know, thinking back. So when I start jumped into English, our district still had reading and writing separate. So it was a writing teacher and a reading teacher. And because of that, I was like, oh, I want to teach. I was like, I want to be on the reading side, like totally. Like I wanted to do that. And luckily I was at the beginning. And the reason why, this is so funny to think about, the reason why I wanted to teach reading was because I didn't want to do 
sentence corrections and I didn't want to do error analysis and I didn't want to do like grammar lessons and all this other stuff because in my head still, you know, my second, third year of teaching, I was like, gross. Like this, that's what writing instruction is, right? Like I, I wasn't even, uh, the same way at first as a reading teacher, I, I was, kids were independently reading in my class. I was not, I couldn't, I didn't even have this concept of letting kids just write in a writing classroom, right? Like it's, it's so, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it, that's exactly how I started. And that's what kind of the writing teachers were doing. You know, they were, uh, luckily our district was doing Abydos. So a lot of our teachers um, who were doing the writing before me uh, were even trained by you on my campus who, so they started mm-hmm. going into that, but you know, it's a slow process. Same thing as taking it independent reading and stuff like that. So, um, they were doing that, but there was still, you know, grammar practice and all that other stuff happening. Like, like not grammar practice in in an authentic way. Like the very stuff that we've kind of railed against on the podcast, just stock, you know, program or very specific, like we're going to correct 10 sentences for this same comma error. 20 sentences on one side of the page and 20 (laughs) sentences on the other side of the page and get that done for homework. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that was very pervasive on the campus, but I remember not wanting to do that for so long, but I was writing in my own life, right? Like I was writing, mm-hmm. uh, I was writing mostly fiction at the time and I was, and I remember kind of sitting back and, and just writing in my own life. And then when I started getting exposed to this literature, different, you know, Jeff Anderson and Nancy Atwell and Penny Kill and Kelly Gallagher and all of those guys. And I started making this this whole connection between authentic reading and authentic writing. And the moment I had people tell me the good news that we can let kids write and they, they will write and they'll enjoy it and you can grow them through their own interest in authentic writing, the moment people told me that and I accepted it, I started all of this uh, art that I have done over the course of the years came out. And I think that's why I embraced it so fast and, and -hmm. became obsessed with it. And I'm still obsessed with it to where I, you know, all the, the books that I wrote and all of the, the pieces that I've created, you know, I, my, my writing as a kid started out as me trying to write fiction books like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And then when I was a teenager, it turned into writing songs for the, all the bands I was in. So I was, I was always the lyric writer, and I would sit, and you know how I did that though? No one told me how to write a song. No one did that. I would put on my favorite song and I would write lyrics that to that. So I would listen. So I was using model text and I would just listen to the song over and over and over again. And a lot of my songs, like a lot of my lyrics sounded like the songs I was listening to, but I, I was learning, right? I was using what we talk about, letting kids borrow lines and do this. I was doing that naturally just as a creator. So when people told me, yeah, you can let kids borrow a line and you can have them, you know, when Linda Reef was like, ask kids to take this line and start a piece with it and see where they go. I was like, this makes so much sense because it was what <laughs> I was, it was what I was doing naturally as a kid who wanted to write lyrics and stuff like that. And then, so when I started going through that, this, the, the notion that I had to teach kids the the mechanics of it first wasn't in my own thinking because I didn't learn that way. I did not learn mechanics mm-hmm. first. I learned I learned how to write 
long form. Like I finished my first novel when I was 19 years old and the way I did it was hilarious. I remember talking to my wife in our first apartment, you know, we're, we're kids. We just moved out. We weren't married. We were just boyfriend and girlfriend living in our own apartment. We're making, we're working at Walgreens making like $400 every two weeks. You know what I mean? Like barely any money just (laughs) hanging out. There's, (laughs) we had, by the way, we had like this, this is kind of off topic, but we had this huge apartment at the time because her parents helped us get it. And, uh, it was very nice. We didn't have any furniture. So we just had this couch and this tiny, like 15 inch TV. And like, if I wanted, if like we would watch like cops on it, cause we didn't have cable. Like we didn't have anything. <laughs> so we're sitting there, but I remember buying, like thinking about wanting to write a book. I was like, I really want to do it. Like I, I want to write a novel. I've never done it before. I've written short stories. And she just goes, then do it. And I was like, Oh, I guess I can, can't I? So like, I, <laughs> I started spending all of this time writing, and I ended up writing like 15,000 words of one book that I ended up stopping. But then the next one I started, I did finish. Not very good. I still have it. It's all – I printed it out, and I bound it in a binder. Um, it's about 80,000 words, my first novel I ever finished. But after I did that, it was like, oh – that's all it took. It just took me showing up to the page every day, putting in the words and going. Now there's more to it to make a good novel, but to write one, that's all it took. And it was this, this, like those series of events and being a musician, like I, I knew how to play hundreds of songs on my drum set before I ever learned how to count a measure in music before I ever knew right. how to had to read rhythms to play in drum line. Like I, I was playing music so many years before anyone taught me the intricacies of time signature and music that to anyone that tells me like, you have to learn mechanics first. I'm like, you absolutely do not. And in some instances, like music is a perfect example. There's, I was looking up uh, famous musicians. John Lennon talked about how the Beatles didn't know how to read anything. One of the greatest bands of all, Jimi Hendrix didn't know how to read music. In fact, he said, right. He felt it made him pay attention to music more because he he didn't know some of that stuff. So he wasn't paying attention to the music side. He was listening more intently because that's how he learned. And there's tons of musicians that were like that. So I think that that's I think that's why I've embraced this, but I think that's why like this whole the the letting kids write and letting them explore and learn by doing, I think it connects to me on such a fundamental level that sometimes I'm flabbergasted at how someone couldn't accept that. But I have, but obviously people have different experiences and different, uh, you know, not everyone was raised in it. Like, you know, my family had a lot of problems, but the one thing they did for me was raise me in a creative household where, you know, before my dad, you know, decided, uh, to go down the path that he did, you know, he was a musician and he brought me into that and he let me play and all of those things. So, I, it's it's weird coming about it from a creative standpoint, but as a communicator and someone who wants to share this information, um, I have to I have to learn how to be like okay, so this is this this process is real, but how do we communicate it to people? And I feel like the draft book with me and you, um, and, and how it intermingles with the craft book, I feel like this system is is the 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 child of that process of of conceptualizing a natural process that can occur if we let it but before 
I know we're about 30 minutes in already, but before we jump to that draft book side, do you relate to that at all? Were you so on the freedom side of creating and stuff like that? Did do you have a similar story or did you come about it in a different way to where you kind of accept the this process? I was probably more traditional in the sense that that I just remember in my student teaching experience, the teacher said, here, you need to teach them how to do, they had to write a paper on the crucible. And then she said, here, grade it. And I had no clue how to grade it. I had no clue how to teach it. And I think it's because she didn't either. I think that's why she gave it to me. Now that I go back and think about it, I think she didn't know how to do it either. Um, I just think that there is an art to teaching writing, but I think you can train somebody to do it. And I was trained. I happened to uh, take this Abydos, but before that, I mean, I had to, I feel like I had to apologize to the kids three years prior that I taught. You know, I just followed whatever I was supposed to, and or what I thought I was supposed to. So I had a pseudo concept about teaching writing. Uh, I gave a lot of worksheets, like I told you, the twenty on one side, twenty on the other. Yeah, and and what you have to do is you have to find all your prepositional phrases first because you cannot understand a sentence until you get rid of all the prepositional phrases. So yeah, I I was very traditional in the sense of grammar, and I still. Yeah, I put your kids to sleep teaching them grammar. I love grammar. I can. I am a grammar nerd, so I love grammar. And um, but I do remember in the seventh grade being lost because they told me I couldn't. I mean, pretty much they said you couldn't write until you could do the grammar. And I remember having to draw arrows to parse the sentences, to draw what my modifier was. And I remember not even knowing what a modifier, I didn't even know what they were talking about on a modifier. But now I can take that and I explain it. I use the fact that I was lost with the words that I use the words to teach the students. Um, you know, I, so I do think grammar is important. I teach, I use those words to teach that. But I but I think it's important in a particular part of the writing process, and that is when you're trying to make it better. When you're yes. trying to, you use the grammar to fine-tune your craft. And that knowledge is power if the students can really, truly understand what they're looking at. But no, they don't have to know all of that in order to be able to write a wonderful page of writing. Well, and I think it's obvious, like, I, uh, one thing that going through, cause I went through a lot of college when I was younger, but you know, going back for my master's a few years later and I like, saw how people wrote, like a lot of it was like, man, you made it this far and this is how, <laughs> like you, no. you're going through like, uh, you're, you're going to be, you know, I did a dual master's or right? I did it in administrative leadership and curriculum instruction. So like the administrative side, I was like, okay, kind of makes sense. Like you want to be a principal, a leader, like I get it. Like this, this might not be your thing, but like curriculum and instruction, like, especially like some people like English backgrounds, I'm like, this is, I mean, this is like really clunky and stuff like that. But it was, it, it, it just goes to show you that the, I think the average person really, I mean, if we're being honest, um, writing much like reading, it isn't something that is so important. Like for reading, you know, we talked about like, it's not really important that you can quote Hamlet or Shakespeare or um, that you know the plot to the great Gatsby and kind of like how it talks to American stuff. Does it inform you about a lot of 
references in the world and stuff like that. Of course. Do you should you probably read that stuff? Yeah, you probably should. It's <coughs> sorry. Is it necessary uh to live a functioning adult life? No. Like there's there's tons of people that do and the same thing for writing. Like, is it important that you people can write a novel? No, is it important that you can write a poem? No, but is it important that you can articulate your thoughts in a pervasive or per, persuasive way to bring off your point, to argue your idea, to articulate why you believe something? I would say yeah, especially in the world of social media, like being able to be articulate might land you a job or it might lose you a job. You know what I mean? Like there's like those, there's those, and not everything about literacy is about getting a job, but I mean, the real world is the real world. And there, there is a place for diving into the technicalities of writing and, and like you said, using it, you know, teaching grammar, uh, grammar rules specifically when you're working with a writer that they might be repeating an error and then you can sit with them and go, Hey, check this out. We can fix it this way. And this is what that's called. Boom. You just authentically helped them through something, gave them a tool and you didn't bore 30 other kids with your grammar instruction lesson that lasted 20 minutes, which I'm really good at doing those. (laughs) I have fun doing them, but sometimes the other kids teaching on the grammar makes them feel smart. And yeah. sometimes that gives them confidence, but it's where you teach it, when you teach it, and how you go about it, and I why is right? where it makes it, and why you do it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs well, to be in a natural aspect or natural part of the process, I think, for it to be effective. So, for people who are curious about this draft book and how it all relates to what we're saying. I think everything that we just said is why the draft book exists, right? Like right. this. This idea and that why we ended up creating a two journal system was, you know, if the craft book is the study of the craft and the draft book is putting that into practice in some way. So the essential structure of the draft book is actually really simple. It's, it's, it's more simple than the craft book, which is in the at the front of a draft book. You know, we kind of set that away for territories, which is is that an Abydos term, by the way? That's a Nancy Atwell term. Yes, sorry. Nancy Atwell is the one who created writing territories. At least that's she's the one who put it in her book. Uh, but yeah, the writing territories would be the things that we write about, the territories in which we mm. explore and learn and uh, put on paper and have a, have an opinion about. Yeah, and that's and that can be added. So I usually I you know I don't know how many pages you set aside. I think I set aside like ten or maybe less. Yeah. Yep. Is that what you did? Yeah, I have about ten. Yeah, yeah they I, all started. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just. I, I think it give or take. You know what I mean? Like it's to each his mm-hmm. own, however much you think. But the idea is that whatever, however many pages you do, is kind of irrelevant. It's more of like what you use those for is is this. It's a nice place to park ideas because when you have a workshop that's really flowing. And you might do something and, and your kids are really writing. Like sometimes I have a mini lesson and my kid's like, I want to write about that, but I, I'm in the middle of a piece. I'm like, cool, write that down in your territories. You can come back to this. They right. might never go back to it because their, their passion might go somewhere else. But being able to park an idea, a thought, a phrase, a title, whatever, um, in this realm of territories, uh, really, one, it's a great start at the beginning of a school year. 
to really talk about what are your territories as a person? What can you connect to? What can you write about just from your life? Um, But to add to it over time, it's a nice stomping ground for it. So that territories, I think, is, is really important. How often do you reference territories in your classroom? I'm curious. Well, um, we probably write in like where I actually have a territories assignment or an idea assignment. Anytime I'm trying to introduce it, you know, if they've finished a piece, then I always come back and I have some sort of idea finding task. And then they write all of their ideas down. I do what you do too is, you know, leave a space for your own ideas so that if you come across something or come across, you know, that you want to come back to later, then you can do that. Uh, So, but as far as referencing, every time I ask them to write, I say, if you're not sure what you want to write about, go back and look at, go flip through your territory page and see if there's something you haven't written about yet that you, that speaks to you today. So I do that almost every time we do any free writing and, uh, you know, unless I'm actually giving them a, a, even if I'm giving them a specific prompt, I might say, go look through your territories. You might have some ideas on how to approach this. So I, I definitely have them go back through that. Now, I, I do know that if you don't have them specific, you, you've got to kind of train them to go back and look at it because they forget because the kids are used to doing one assignment and they never go back to it. So this is something you have to, in your classroom, be purposeful and make them go back to it until all of a sudden, like with you, you've looped with your kids. So they probably automatically just go back through it and they've gotten used to it. So it's something you can't let go if you want it to work. Yeah, same thing with a craft book, right? Like this whole, mm-hmm. I think the whole idea, at least to some degree, of uh, both of these journals is giving kids tools that they can reference, but tools that they made, right? Not just right. stuff that we hand them, and that's why it becomes more valuable. That's why they're more likely to use it, et cetera, et cetera. But other than that, um, the structure for people following along is relatively the same as the craft book. We love having kids number the pages. It's very valuable. Um, That comes into play during publishing. But this idea of letting kids write on the right side, um, we, we, we decided this because of a variety of reasons. And I remember having these conversations with you now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> I will, because I remember us, cause we like, we used to lay these out like these master plans, right? We had our journals and we were coming up with different formats. We had sticky notes to kind of demonstrate right. to each other, these ideas. And we kind of coalesced together in this process of if kids write on the right side of their journal, whatever it is, maybe it's a few lines, maybe it's a poem, maybe it's a story, maybe it's an essay, whatever they're trying to do. That left side can be used for revision. It can be used for uh, notes on a piece. It can be used for the teacher to jot down some notes on something mm-hmm. if they would like. Um, some You can also use sticky notes uh, to put in there for kids. You can do a, a variety of things. But freeing up that left side allows students to have their journal open, and then you can interact it in a way. And a lot of this stemmed from... Don Graves kind of philosophy, or at least that's where I heard it from originally was, you know, never writing on a student's piece, right? Never taking their journal and then marking on their actual writing, because what are you demonstrating to them, right? You're showing them that, oh, this isn't really yours because I can mark on it whenever I want. 
And I think that is such a unique philosophy that gets overlooked a lot in writing classrooms. Like when I see, uh, you know, I, I follow a lot of teachers on Instagram and, you know, teachers show their grading and stuff like that. And like, they're like, Oh, kids turned in rough drafts today. And they just show all the writing that they've marked up on. And I'm just like, ah, like, just yeah. don't do it. <laughs> kind like, like, ah. It's kind of like chalk on a yeah, uh, nails, fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah. To me, it just kind of goes, well, it makes sense yeah. too. Right. I mean, if you like Ocho, if you turned in something to me that moment and then I just like took it and then revised it myself and I was like, okay, change this, this, and this, and this, what am I telling you? I'm telling you that this is all th- like what you're doing, what you're turning into me is, is no longer yours, but there's th- the idea behind that is correct. Like teachers want to add helpful tips for kids to make their writing better, right? Like that, that's the core at the core of itself. It's not bad. Um, but what we, we want to stop training students that their writing belongs to us. It doesn't. And I think that kids will write the moment they believe that it doesn't belong to us, but it takes time. Well, and also what happens too, uh, with that is the student, the students become dependent upon the the teacher thinking and not upon their own thinking. So, so when you approach these students, that's where that left side is very handy because you can, you can write a note on the left side because you've already told the students, I'm going to use that on the left side. If you want to use that information I give you, fine. If not, but at least you know, I care enough about your writing that I've read it. I've said something, but you're not in, you're not getting in the way of their own writing. So I think that's a good place for that. I also like to do, you know, how I, I like to have the students share their writing with each other and give feedback to each other. Well, sometimes what they'll do is if they do that, then they'll tape that feedback on that left side. That's another thing that they, that I have them. So I have them do feedback with each other and they do that on the left side. The kids will yes. tape it in there. And so those are some things I do. We need to do a whole episode on your, uh, feedback strategies that you do with kids because you're, you're so much better at it than me and you do it more than I do. But it, uh, like that's the beauty of that left side is that becomes the stomping grounds for conversation, right? It Mm -hmm. becomes a place that you can park revision, editing, uh, a mini lesson. If you need to reteach something over there, um, what Mm -hmm. I find myself doing with my kids I've looped up with, I find that I use the left side less from me, but what I do more often is my kids, uh, I've trained them to kind of just write whatever they want to write. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the process that makes sense to me is kind of, you know, you can't fix a blank page. So right. getting, getting the words out, whatever you're wanting to say, and then making it better on the left side. So that becomes almost their personal revision page. And what I usually do is on my iPad, um, I'll take a picture of their piece. And then like, I did this with a student the other day, uh, is I took a picture of her piece. I was like, oh, this is so good. There's some things that we can change here, though, that I think I want to suggest to you. And uh, that's how I always phrase that as well, is like all the changes that I talk about. I'm not, hey, change this, change this. This is wrong. It's, hey, I'm going to suggest some things, and I want to talk about them with you. Is that okay? And they say yes. So we take a picture. I go, okay, so this word right here, really like it, like it, you, I'm going to read it out loud, and I want you to tell me if that's what you meant to say. That's what I help a lot of my ELLs is they'll mm-hmm. use the wrong verb or they'll use the long, <clears throat> they'll use the wrong spelling of something. 
And so if I read it out loud, they go, oh, and so they, they fix it. So it's less of me telling them it's an error, um, which is another psychological. It's, it's such a small trick, but it, it makes it seem so right. much less uh, punishable, right? It's, it's not a consequence. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is so much of what we talk about is it's not so much like reinventing the wheel. It's just changing how we approach uh, the same things that everyone else would. But anyway, so I take a picture. And I'll be like, okay, so here's this, and I'll kind of write on my iPad, and then they'll write it on the left side, like they'll if they agree, and we'll have this back and forth, and then I take a picture of both, so now I have evidence as a teacher of this revision process that we went through. Um, I have a documented approach, so if, let's say, this student is really struggling, and we need a parent conference for whatever reason, or admin wants to know how a teacher's doing. Like for my campus, we're very much data driven. I walk into those data conversations with my appraiser and I show them these notes. And so I back up what I'm doing with this process that I'm taking pictures of and kind of documenting and how there, no one on earth would ever tell me that this was not data for this, what we're trying to do. But at the same time, the more important part of this is those kids walk away empowered because it's all theirs. I didn't take it from them. I didn't take it home that night, mark all over it and hand it back to them. And I think that's such a fundamental shift that uh, to make the draft book work, we have to accept like we're not don't go home with draft books in your little cart or whatever do like. not do it it's the kids <laughs> yes oh i've done it that's why i know yeah. don't do it i've right. hurt my back trying to pick up those things do not do that no it's it's the student i can't tell you how many teachers have said well the kids aren't they'll just lose it they'll just lose it and it's like but they won't if it's their work their writing their ideas that's important to them, they will not lose it. They will hang on to it. I mean, I don't have very many to show people because my kids want to keep their own work. And I've had seniors as a seventh grader, I've had, have had people who have become seniors come back and say, Miss Ochoa, I still have my book. Miss Ochoa, I still write. And I think it's because we've empowered them. And if you think about writers, what we, you know, that are out there like you, and others that are that are successful writers, published writers, you go through and you listen to these. And that's another thing I like to do is is share. You know, especially today, you can do this. Is you can actually share uh, uh, interviews and things like that through through PowerPoint of other writers and what they do. But I like to share with them what those writers do. And many writers keep their own kind of notebook, their own notebook, their own, um, you know, collection of, of thoughts and their own ideas. And so I like to share as many as I can. I like to find all of those out from other, other writers, you know, like Will Hobbs keeps a, a filing cabinet of ideas and he puts, you know, he, he sorts them by topic and he might find a, a newspaper article and put it in here. He might find something else and put it in there. And then what happens is he goes through it periodically and ideas pop into his head. And that's where he comes up with his his ideas for his book. So that's what t- writers do. And so what you're really doing is you're bringing the writing world to the student world. And as a teacher, that's magical. And the kids... At first, they're very uncomfortable, just like my my 
teachers, the very first time they've ever done this, they're like, you mean you want me to just, you mean I can just, you mean you want me to write? I mean, like, but what do I need to write about? Just write whatever you want. You mean whatever I want? I mean, they do the exact same thing as those adults do. It's hilarious. And it's been going on for at least 30 years in my book because that's how long I've been watching it. You're, I'm, I'm just sitting here nodding. Like, I feel like I'm going to break my neck nodding so much because this, if you want to teach writers, like, I, I honestly, like, there's, there's some great, the, the best teachers that have talked about this are writers themselves, right? Like Nancy right. Atwell, Linda Reef writes amazing pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Gallagher's a writer, like Penny Kittle's a writer. The reason why they're so good at talking about this is because they are writers but there's there's few like there's tons of books on these mechanics there and all this other stuff you know like Ralph Fletcher and Jeff Anderson both actually write for adults and they write for kids so like they have this totally different approach to why they instruct this way but i have found that a lot of the stuff that i've used in my in my own writing, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's like writing is this, it's a mystical process to, in some way, like there's a reason why there's so many movies and stories and stuff like that about the struggling and, and tortured writer and stuff. Like it's a mythology all about, you know what I mean? Like it is a mythology in the culture. So the moment you can bring that down and, and Don Murray, right. Don Graves, like where, and, and them too, uh, both of them talked about, like, I think Don Graves said the first writer he ever saw right in front of him was Don Murray. Like Don Murray was like this, uh, you know, the, let, let kids see you write show or adults. Don Murray was, he taught college, right? He taught adults yeah. and then Don Graves made it for kids. So uh-huh. it, uh, but bringing it down, right? It's almost—it's literally like bringing down the stone tablets from the mountain and saying, it is. These, this is what it is, guys. Like, it's putting letters together. It's putting words together and creating sentences and telling people what you think. And the more you can give kids the tools to do that and let them write in their draft books and draft whatever they want and talk about whatever they want and let them own it. Forget, take your teacher ownership, put your teacher ego away and let them have fun with it. Kids love it. My kids almost every single day, I would say 99% of the time they're like, Chastain, can we write? Can we write? Can we write? No, we have to read first, but can we write? Can we write? And that's all they want to do. They love it. They're obsessed. Yes, and they'll write. They'll write the whole. I mean, shoot! You put on a little bit of Disney music without the lyrics in my classroom <laughs> right now, and hey, those kids the way, will just write. And they're all like, "How do you get your kids to do that? Do what now?" I so I I know I'm interrupting again. I'm, You're not I'm horrible me. this episode. I told you I was excited to talk about this because I wrote <laughs> for people to see behind the curtain. I was telling Ochoa before we came on that. Uh, I had wrote about 3,000 words uh, on on one of the upcoming books, and uh, so I've been fired up to want to have this conversation all day. Uh, I got some caffeine in me, so this is why I'm a little bit verbose, (laughs) I feel like. But so one thing I want you to try, so I know you use your uh, language. You don't have lyrics to a lot of the music you have. So one thing you should try is if you go to YouTube and you type in, this is great for anyone listening, if you type in... Lo-fi, hip-hop beats, Lo-fi. 
or lo-fi. I listen to jazzy hip hop beats when I write. It's this, mm-hmm. it's, it's a live stream. It's just this channel that plays these very relaxing hip hop inspired beats that there's no words. Usually sometimes there's like a word or whatever, but it's mostly just ambient music. But it's good rhythm. Kids love it. And personally, that's what I wrote to you today. And I wrote 3,000 words. So you at least oh, got to try that'll it. <laughs> that'll work. I'll try it. I, the, I mean, the kid, but you do something like that, you know, that way it kind of limits the distractions. And they get in a zone. And I mean, there is nothing more magical in a classroom when you look around, like you're busy writing, and then all of a sudden you realize there's not a noise going on. So you're thinking, okay, who's back there on something, you know, as far as like a game or whatever, but you look up and they're all writing in their, in their notebooks. It is, I think that is probably my most exciting moment in teaching. And then that's when I go, I think I can do this another year. (laughs) And here we are. But those times are just the best times. But I can't tell you how many um, over the years where kids would go, I mean, teachers would, you know how sometimes they come to your classroom because they need to see you or people come in to evaluate, but they'll go, how do you get the kids to write? I mean, like, it's like pages. They'll write pages. And, you know, sometimes we have to get rid of some of those pages because it's just a lot of stuff, but, but we let them make those decisions. We just, yeah, and my, uh, I've talked about my principal a lot. I'm a big fan of her. I think she's one of the best principals I've worked under and I've worked under six at this point in seven years. So in one, in a, one school, yeah. <laughs> just want to let everybody know that. <laughs> so I have a, I have a good taste of the variety that comes in leadership and I've, I've liked them all for different reasons to be hundred percent honest, but I think she's one of the best because she walked into my classroom last year, her first year, and she observed me and, uh, one, she was the first principal who actually knew workshop. Like she could actually tell me, you yes. know, she talked to me in the, and when she evaluated me, you know, she mentioned many lessons, she mentioned work time and debrief and stuff like that. And I was like, sweet. I automatically care about what you have to say so much more. And then she goes, you know, what really told me that she was like, I knew, cause she was like a lot of teachers, teachers can fake engagement. You know, if you're a good teacher, kids will generally behave and do what you want to do while kids are in, like when adults are in there. Right. Like, yeah. like that's a, that's <laughs> the, the really bad sign is when kids are acting crazy when, when adults are in the room, that means, and that was my first year. That was 100% my first year. <laughs> so I'm not insulting teachers. I'm saying, Hey, I've been there, but in yeah, general, if, if you have control and you have a good report through kids, they'll, you usually behave. And she was like, the way I knew your kids weren't just behaving because I was in there, um, was when you started writing time and I let it write and I was watching them. And then towards the end of the class, I said, okay, who wants me to read their work? And every hand shot up. She was like, that's how I knew you were actually creating a workshop where kids were authentically writing because she was like, I've been a principal a long time. She was like, that is not the case in a lot of English classrooms. And it's because kids are writing this. They're they're scared. She was like, kids wanted to share because it was their pieces. And I was like, yes. Like that was it was I mean, it was a cool <laughs> moment for me. Obviously, I had a good observation, but it was more it was more good for me because it it was it was uh it was affirming to know that my the stuff that my kids are doing, it's not just 
contingent on my existence and me being a teacher, but it's what I'm doing is allowing them to share their voice with other people. They're confident to share it with a principal who quite frankly, isn't, uh, she doesn't give off the kind, uh, personality of people. She, she is intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. and the fact that they were willing to share and do all this other stuff in an authentic way without any prompting or anything like that for me, like it, it just showed that. And that's what those kids are doing. They're gaining, this ability to share their voice. And you know, it starts small. It starts in the classroom and then maybe they start sharing on social media. And then, you know what, maybe by high school and they're adult, they're activists and they're fighting for what they believe in. And maybe they go off and they're, they're, they just, they work and don't use it in a certain way, but they, they're able to write an articulate email and maybe they're able to stand up for what they believe in, uh, during crazy political times during modern life. You know what I mean? Like giving, giving that gift to kids and the ability to articulate them themselves, regardless of their beliefs, in a way to where they can stand up for what they believe in in a meaningful way, I think is the best gift. And I think the draft book is a stepping stone to that because it is a book that documents their growth. It is a book that allows them to experiment and play and mess up in a non-high-stakes way. And I think that non-high-stakes piece of this is what really frees the draft book. Like The draft book isn't something that we pull up and sit there and grade and give them checks on pages and stuff. The draft book is theirs entirely. And then we take that and we're able to choose that to what goes to publishing. Right. And that's what, that's what my students do is they look through their pieces and they choose the one they want to take to publishing or what I call to the test grade. So uh, same. that's, that's exactly what I say. Same this is, yeah, yeah, I say test grade. Yeah, so whichever one you're, we're going to have to, you know, we're always make their writing, their final product a test grade. And so I just say, which one do you want to do? And I will tell you, it does help with the grading because you're not grading the same paper. First we do this, and then this happens, and then oh. after that, and then that's the end. This is no, what we're burns not getting teachers any out. Of, that. of yeah. course teachers hate teaching writing because they're reading the same essay that they walk through kids mm-hmm. for five weeks. Now kids have typed it up, and guess what? You're reading the same thing you read five weeks in a row. Oh, I know it. Well, and, you know, what's really amazing is in the in – like, like one of the things I remember last year, I have a – I had a, a, a student that uh, she loved to write about her pugs. She even has a podcast, not a podcast, but she has a blog. And she she has a lot of people that will listen to her. But I would let her write about her pugs, and then she would add it to her, her blog. I had another one that was interested. He was probably the smartest kid I think I've had in for a long time. And he was interested. He's a band person, percussion. You know, the kind, but he was interested in sound and he wrote this whole piece on how sound impacts the brain. And then he wrote the ethical aspect of sound. How is it ethical or how is it not ethical and how people use it in an ethical way? And it's like, now you think I could have even thought of that assignment? No, but that's what they were doing. I had one writing about her pugs and being published and another one writing about something way beyond my ability to think. But it was just neat to watch the range of what my students write about. It's really neat. And so when I grade papers, it's not boring. 
Same. No, they're, I love, they're not all I love great, it. but it's not boring. Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. No, it was, it was that idea of, you know, I think teachers get burnt out from reading the same pieces all mm-hmm. the time because it's what you assigned. Of course, I, God, who would want to read 80 papers about the same subject? You know what I mean? And teachers try right. to mitigate that by giving some choice, but then that choice is limited. And so it ends up still being, and then you still scaffold the structure. So it all ends up being the same thing. So no wonder like great, like would be great writing teachers quit because uh, they think that's what it is and would be great writers quit because they think that's what write, writing is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, but here, here's the thing. And we're, we just reached an hour, so we're gonna have to close it out here in a second, okay. but here's gotcha. my, the, the draft book itself, territories and writing that structure I think is vastly important. And the numbering, the pages is important. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode, because pulling this all together and talking about how they intermingle and how this equals publishing, how we can get some grades from this, which is always the question teachers have, and then using it for testing and stuff like that. Like all of that is in this next part, but it, it hinges entirely on the, the simplicity of its draft book of the draft book is its power, but it's also something that you shouldn't deviate from. I think like, I think if mm-hmm. teachers really want to implement this, like changing the draft book too much, I think can hinder this process because we want it to be theirs as much as possible, which is why we consciously decided we're not going to control this too much. It's their pages. And like you, like we said, like we have so many kids we're at the start of a new semester, like they need new draft books. Like how often do you have kids run out of room in their journals because they're writing so much? Like I would argue that's not happening across the United States and, <laughs> and beyond um, because right. kids are writing so much. And like we said, like the, putting in the work and having kids go through that process and write so much, like you can't not grow writing that much. So that's, that's why it's simple. Um, do you have anything to add before we close out on the draft book today? I just think what you said was true. You cannot not do the draft book. I mean, it really is a very central piece in making workshop work like a workshop shit. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Craft and Draft podcast. I don't think we introduced ourselves. I'm Jacob Chastain, and this is Pam Ochoa. And uh, did you? We, uh, so this is, well, I'm repeating it now. It's okay. This is a podcast all about authentic reading writing workshop. We are both Texas English teachers in middle school, so we are doing what we are talking about. We are actually living the same world you are. We teach digital. We teach in person. We do all of that stuff. So if you like hearing from people actually in the classrooms and just not listening to Sage on the stages and listening to people making tons of money off of you just because they're popular, then hit subscribe because we are in the trenches with you. Support the podcast. It really does help. If you learned something from this or if you from any of the podcasts, hit that star button, leave a written review, share this podcast with your colleagues, join us in this journey. We are really just getting started. We're only, well, I think it's like episode 19 or 20 or 18, mm-hmm. one of those. So we're really, this is still the ground floor, you guys. And this is just going to keep going as we share the one wonderful world of workshops. So hopefully you learned something from this craft book was last week. Draft book was this week. Next week is going to be all about how these intermingle in the variety of ways and getting some of the teacher tasks done. We're not, 
you know, we ignore some of the other teacher stuff, but grades, tests, and all of that stuff is a reality we accept. So all of that does come together in the craft and draft system. And we're going to talk about that next week. So come back for more details. Learn how it goes. Write with your kids. Read with your kids. Have fun. Take a breath during this COVID era because we know it's cray cray. But uh, note that we are here for you. 